All right. I see my voice. That's a good sign. <laughs> it is a very good sign. It is, yeah. So I'm just getting your bio in front of me. So I'm seeing everything there. back here. I had your bio and then I accidentally made it go bye-bye. <laughs> there we go. Okay. I'm using Brian's computer, so he's having to like educate me on the fly. <laughs> feel all together. Love it. So uh, I'll bring us in and I'll read a couple of paragraphs from from the bio and then when I get to the part uh, second where you're also course instructor for Simon Sinek that's when I'll I'll pause there and say wow welcome Rachel and then we'll go from there sounds like a plan we've had uh, our share of the smoke the last two days so my voice is ugh oh alright that's pretty nasty yeah it's kind of nasty here mm. All right, well, let me bring us in. Welcome to Leadership Level Up Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Williamson, alongside my co-host and partner, Brian Prairie, and he is with us, and we're excited about our show today. We have one of my favorites with us, Rachel Druckenmiller, and I will tell you a little bit more about her. There's plenty to share, and we'll save some for the conversation. But uh, Rachel is an award-winning thought leader and TEDx speaker. She's a catalyst who helps people unleash possibilities and unmute themselves. For nearly 20 years, she's helped leaders and organizations elevate character, culture, and well-being. As a trained facilitator and professional speaker with a background in workplace culture, health, and human behavior, Rachel brings a unique perspective and set of skills to catalyze both introspective insight and meaningful connection that lead to lasting transformation. Recognized by the Daily Record as one of Maryland's top 100 women of 2022, Forbes as a next 1,000 honoree in 2021, Workforce Magazine as a 40 under 40 game changer in 2019, and the number one health promotion professional in the U.S. by the Wellness Council of America in 2015. Rachel's a change agent whose refreshing perspective has helped her stand out as a leader in her field. She has served clients ranging from 20 to 60,000 employees, including organizations like Citizens Bank, Sherwin Williams, United Healthcare, and the Federal Aviation Administration. She is also a course instructor for Simon Sinek's virtual classroom. Wow, welcome, Rachel. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here for this conversation. Yeah, me too. You know, there's so much more I could have shared. Uh, about that, but I didn't. We're going to help uh, help our listeners kind of learn that as we go along. But uh, great to have you with us. I've been looking forward for a long time. We started talking about potential guests. I was like, oh, I have somebody that I want to get on the schedule, and that was you. So uh, Brian's gotten to know you here recently, and so we're excited about our chat with you today. All right. Wonderful. So with our focus being on leadership, obviously, with the we love talking with leaders from all over the spectrum of professions and backgrounds and stories. And one of the things that will often come up is sometimes people will say, well, I don't necessarily see myself as a leader, but we always say leadership is influence mm. and influence comes in so many different ways. 
So I want to hear some from you as a leader and uh, an impact person. Uh, some of your background stories of leaders who've impacted you that have been a big influence on you, influence on you rather, and uh, and just some concepts that you say, hey, this to me, this is what leadership's about. I'd say one of the people who influenced me the most um, has been my dad. So I, I mean, my parents both are entrepreneurs, so they modeled for me from a young age that I could create my own path, which is a gift that a lot of people don't have. And so I think starting off recognizing that, that I had this example in my house of seeing someone take a risk, pursue a path that did not have a, a, a clear, um, you know, a clear trajectory, but being willing to just go where it led, that was my model. And, and so that's the path that I've ended up on myself as well. And so having, having that modeled, I think is important. I also think leadership being modeled in relationships. So seeing how my parents, how they really invested in their marriage. I mean, when I was five years old, after they had separated, they had a vow renewal ceremony and, you know, restored, renewed, redeemed the the brokenness in their marriage. And I saw that at the age of, I guess at the time I was six. And so that I view as a form of leadership of, of taking accountability and taking initiative and investing in what's important to you. And so, and I, I also saw from, I mean, truly my parents have been my, my, <laughs> my greatest leadership role models. I feel like, cause I also saw accountability in the sense of, you know, if you mess up, you own up. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, the sense of integrity and the expectation and the pursuit of excellence was something that was always instilled in me. And, but also uh, this inherent creativity and curiosity, which is something that I think the best leaders have. And I got all of that, you know, especially from my dad. And so when I think of, you know, teachers were certainly models for me as well. And people I, I looked up to a lot just in terms of their kindness and compassion and the way that they showed up and treated people. And especially me, a kid who didn't feel like I fit in where I was, but by far, I would say my my parents were my strongest leadership models growing up. Okay. Did you, uh, at the time, when you were a kid, did you realize that? Or is it more in reflection now? I mean, you know, I think I realized that we had something special that, like, I didn't necessarily feel as connected to my peers as I felt to my parents. I always felt more connected to my parents than my peers, which is I maybe the opposite of what a lot of maybe adolescents especially might feel, <laughs> but they were a safe place for me. And I think one of the things an effective leader does is, does is creates a safe space for people. And my, and my dad had a way of doing that when I was scared when I was uncertain uh, that he provided a space where I felt like I was kind of held and heard. So I, I was aware of that. Maybe I've, I've become more aware of how impactful that was in retrospect, but at the time I, I realized that, they were special, but when, you know, you don't realize what's different about your own reality when you're, when it's all, you know, exactly. Exactly. That's what I was asking. Cause yeah. I didn't really, uh, I didn't really realize that my parents had laid the groundwork for me in, in the way they talked to each other and the way that they just ran their lives. Mm. But in, in reflection, you know, in reflection now, I'm like, Oh, Oh wow. Yeah. They were doing a really great job. I just wasn't paying attention at the time. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, well, if we could pause a second. I want to make double sure because when my my screen was picking up Brian's audio, so I wanted to make sure you're getting his audio okay. I'm here. I can hear you fine. Yeah. yeah. 
I can hear him, both of you fine. I can hear both oh, of you okay. fine. All right. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. I just thought, it's mm-hmm. funny I'm not talking and my screen's lighting up. Like, I'm oh, yeah. it's probably picking. It's because it's coming through your mic because his mic's muted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. my mic's muted now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Just making sure. All right. I'm going to unmute my mic because it's not going to switch to me when I'm talking. Right. That's yeah, I was... okay. Yeah. That, that's better. Okay. I don't hear any echo. Do you, Rachel? No. Okay. Okay. Good. I just get a little, but I can live with it. Yeah, it's fine. Okay, cool. I'm glad I cleared that out. That was that was concerning me. Oh. Cool. Uh, where do we want to pick up from? So I'll come back with a comment to what she was sharing about parents. Sure thing. As you were talking, I was thinking about what a gift that is that you have those kind of role models in the house where you grew up. I mean, what a blessing that is to see that from them. Yeah. Um, and I, I think, you know, sometimes I, I think parents might underestimate their influence. <laughs> you know, they, that, that people know, you know, people, parents, parents hear, oh, your kids are watching everything you do. Not just, not just what you say, they're watching what you do. And I watched what my parents did, you know, and, and they were, I saw them as people of integrity and, you know, there were things, nobody's perfect. There were certain things that looking back could have been done differently. I mean, who hasn't had that experience? It wasn't a perfect childhood by any means. There were certain things that, that I wish were different, but, but the model talking specifically about leadership, what they modeled for me about, about leadership, about, you know, about even, even things like forgiveness and having the humility to acknowledge when you've made a mistake and, and getting the help and support that you need, which took me a long time to figure out that lesson on my own. <laughs> I saw that. Didn't really. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I heard you say uh, things like, you know, they took a, a, a risk. They bet on themselves. They uh, took a chance where they didn't know the outcome ahead of time, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Along with that, what might be some, leadership traits, characteristics that you would say, hey, this is where Rachel really tries to present or to show up in this way as a leader and an influencer. I see and I've gotten feedback from people that I'm a courageous person, that I do things, you know, to as a woman in her mid-30s to leave a well-paying, steady corporate job to take the risk of becoming an entrepreneur when you're the primary earner. I mean, that the statistics alone on that are, are, you know, I'm, I'm definitely a minority of people that would do something like that. Um, that even has that setup, you know, and people might've looked at that as like, what are you nuts? But I grew up, <laughs> I grew up in a house where I saw people do things that, that other people might've viewed as a little bit out there, you know, and, and I, but, but I also resisted it for a while. You know, I, I wanted to leave my job probably six or seven years before I actually did. And, and so I think that, that, that I've become more emboldened, you know, that willingness to take risks, whether it's with my career, whether it's, you know, putting myself out there, um, owning being different. I think my dad really embodied this sense and demonstrated this, this willingness to be different and kind of quirky. You know, he's five, five, you know, like a buck 35. I mean, he's, <laughs> 73 years old, a, a triathlete, still, you know, still working for himself. And, and so he was always different and he, he, 
found that embracing difference was important. So for me, as somebody who now integrates singing into my speaking, for instance, there have been some people that have said that is weird. And there's part of me that that feels a little hurt when people say that or or why did she sing? What's that? They're going to remember that. They're going to like that. That's something they've never remembered. Yeah, whether they liked it or not, you know, and and I'm and I'm done with <laughs> I spent too much of my life being afraid of people that people would say things like that, that I was too much when I sang or that I wasn't good enough in some way, and so I did not, which is why I did not share my voice as a singer with people for most of my adult life. And it's only been in recent years that I've started doing that and pursuing singing and songwriting that I've realized, and it's been a thing that's helped me stand out. It's actually helped me get business. People have said, oh, I saw this video of you singing. Or even yes, I was at a Shania Twain concert yesterday. I ran into a girl from high school who I have not even talked to, who was a year older than me. And she was with a group of friends and and we saw each other and she goes, oh, yeah, this is Rachel. She sings on LinkedIn. <laughs> that's how she introduced me. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. <laughs> You know, it was the part of myself that I hid, and I think a lot of us do that. And when we see it modeled, when we see other people model, be willing to do something different. Be willing to do the thing that that causes you to stand out in a way that may make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because if you can really lean into it and and more fully pursue it, really cool things can happen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And I have to go back and mention something I think we've talked about, but... I've always appreciated so much is that early on after we became friends, I was in a third decade of higher education career wise. Mm -hmm. And we grabbed breakfast together. And I remember you saying to me about going on my own and doing this thing. You said, well, you can, you can stay in that job, but you're going to limit yourself. Mm -hmm. You're going to limit your income. You're going to limit your joy. All of it. And so there've been so many times where I'm like, well, Rachel told me I'm going to limit myself. I don't go for it. (laughs) So when I took a flying leap, I told myself about that so many times. Uh So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. And we don't always even know, right? We don't even, that's the cool thing about, about life is that by by modeling so much about this is modeling right it's it's more about what we see people doing and not just what we hear them saying it's about what we see them doing and when the two match when people are saying a thing and then they're doing the thing we believe them more and that's i think really goes back to leadership because a lot of leaders can say can talk a lot of talk and change absolutely nothing in their behavior but when we see somebody who's saying a thing and then they're doing the thing that's integrity and we respect that and we trust that. And, and I just appreciated that so much because I was kind of at that point where I had my nose pressed against the window, so to speak. <laughs> and it was like, okay, I think I'm going to do this because Rachel's doing this and she's a smash. So maybe I'll be okay too. <laughs> and here we are. Yeah, here we are. Yeah, four plus years later. Yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> Rachel, do you feel that there's some... Um, bit of being uncomfortable is is scary to a lot of us and Jeff's Jeff was comfortable in his job mm-hmm. I was comfortable in what I was doing before I started uh the Pathfinder and doing video and stuff like that but once I started doing uncomfortable things I was a lot happier mm-hmm. I was I was uncomfortable and a little unhappy at first but after I did this uncomfortable thing like oh I got to I, I got to meet Jeff 
that's awesome. I get to meet Rachel. That's awesome too. Yeah. Like, these things out of uncomfortableness, which is a totally made up word, uh, has, has made me grow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think discomfort is putting ourselves in unfamiliar and novel situations, I think serves as a catalyst for growth and courage. And we're willing to do those things. It serves as a catalyst. I mean, for me, one of the biggest catalysts that I had in my life was my junior year of college. I, I studied abroad in Southern Spain for a semester and for context, my parents still live in the same house that I grew up in. They have been in the same house for 43 years. And I lived, you know, grew up in Maryland. I still live here. And I had never been further west than West Virginia. And if you look on a map, you know, it's not that far. And then I made the decision to go across the Atlantic and live in another country with language that I barely spoke for four months. And so that experience, sometimes when we just disrupt everything, maybe we need to disrupt one thing at a time. But in that case, I felt like I was disrupting everything my relationships, my routine, my time zone, my diet, my language, the environment that I was in, so many things, everything was new. And as a result of being almost forced into this space where nothing was familiar or predictable, I I think that that is something that really grew my courage. And then I came back and that's when I tried out for my first solo in a, in a gospel choir concert. And I was 20 and taken me almost 20 years to then decide maybe I want to do something with music and create my own. So it's, it's like these things can happen. Seeds are planted for some of this stuff at a certain point in time, and they may not get realized until years and years and years later. I love that. I love that story. Thanks. <laughs> Sticking to it. So, <laughs> so when we think about influence and courage and taking chances and being uncomfortable, uh, and, and moving forward in spite of that, I always love to ask our guests what, what advice would 20 year old Rachel give to today, Rachel? Mm-hmm. And part of it you touched on with your trip to Spain, but I'll kind of let you add on if you could. One of the things I would say, and I have this on a piece of art in my living room, it's a picture of a butterfly, and it says, Allow the unfolding. I think sometimes we can be on this path, especially for really ambitious, high achievers. We can be on this path to do it all in five seconds. And I still have that inclination. I want to do all the things yesterday. And I have this restless discontent of wanting to be at a place that I'm not yet and sometimes struggling to be grateful for where I am. I think that keeps me going in some ways. But allowing the unfolding. So when I look at how my life has unfolded, I've taken intentional steps to make certain things happen, but I I don't see myself as someone who's forced something before it's time. And, really you know, I think that a lot of us could benefit from, from recognizing that, of, of, of allowing the unfolding. Um, and 20-year-old Rachel needed to be <laughs> reminded to, to, let, to let people in because I – wanted people to perceive me a certain way as somebody who was impressive and someone who was accomplished. And when I was really struggling with things, I don't even know that I was totally honest with myself, but if I needed, if I was struggling, I was not quick to ask for help. And 
I prioritized my academics and my work over relationships for most of my life. I still struggle with that because I, I feel so alive in my work that it's easy for me to make that the focus and put everything else second place. Just stay there. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is, I get, I'm competent here. That's for a lot of us, you know, especially the higher you get up in a leadership position. You're like, I'm, I've got this, that stuff at home, my health, my marriage, my whatever, fill in the blank of whatever your thing is. That is an area. My kids, you can think to yourself, I don't feel competent in that area. So I'm just going to go where I feel competent and ignore the other stuff. And I've really learned, especially as someone who has consistently gone to therapy, I would say go to therapy earlier. Um, I didn't start really consistently seeing a therapist in, in any capacity until I was about maybe 33. And then, I mean, consistently for the past almost three years since 2020. And I wish, I wish I'd done that a little sooner, you know? One other thing I, I think you were referring to that I would love to hear some of your insights maybe here in the last few minutes that we have with you was that you experienced a really traumatic injury mm-hmm. in the midst of the pandemic mm-hmm. and being friends, I watched you work your way through that and uh, some of the things that, that you learned and shared uh, along the way with that, if you don't mind. Yeah. I think this is very relevant to a conversation on leadership because every leader has had an experience where that you felt blindsided, right? You've had a moment where you said, well, I didn't see that coming. And you have to figure out how you want to respond to it. You know, the idea, Viktor Frankl says, you know, something along the lines of, you know, right. We, between stimulus and response is a space, right? In that space, we choose our response. We don't, we don't choose the thing that happens. We choose how we respond to it. None of us get to choose the thing that happened, (laughs) And for me, I was May of 2020, six weeks into the pandemic, I had lost, you know, like every other person whose only source of income was in-person speaking engagements, had lost over 80% of my income in a matter of weeks. And I was out running with my husband and crossing an intersection where there was a Chevy Silverado stopped in the right turn lane. And my husband ran across and we were talking to each other. And as I went across the front of the truck, he took a right-hand turn at a red light and hit me, and I ended up being rushed off to the hospital. My, my husband saw the whole thing happen as he turned around um, and couldn't stop it. And I was rushed to the hospital where I was told I had a compression fracture in my in my lower back. And, you know, it's some weeks later, I found out cartilage damage to my ankle. And then weeks after that, months after that, realized I had some post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, from that. And... I mean, talk about, talk about getting knocked down literally and having to choose the response. What, what are you going to do? And I I learned, I think something that every leader could benefit from doing is, is you cannot do it all by yourself. You have to resource yourself. And I, I got really good at saying yes to help. Someone offered to set up a meal train where people make meals or send you gift cards or drop things off your house. And it was during the pandemic. So no one was coming around. They just sent Grubhub. And and it was I almost turned it down because I thought, well, we're OK. Like we can afford it. You know, well, my husband can do everything and teach remotely from the basement. Not a big deal. And I realized that that was foolish. And so 
And I think a lot of people in positions of authority and leadership can get into that spot where you think, I, you know what, the, I've got to figure this out myself. I cannot lean on other people. I, I, this is not anybody else's problem. This is my problem. I could have felt that way. But I said, you know what? Yes, I will take whatever you want to give me. And the next night, that woman's husband, she insisted that we get a meal from one of our favorite restaurants. They drove, I mean, probably 40 minutes away from where they live to get this meal for us. And over the next five weeks, we had people send cards and gifts and flowers and drop off meals and send gift cards and check in on me and check in on my husband. And, you know, I look back at that season and I think, and I had incredible support. I mean, I had an, I seeing a team of healthcare practitioners. I was recommended a physical therapist who was phenomenal. I got a recommendation on a, you know, psychotherapist who was phenomenal. And I just sort of let myself be supported by people. Like I couldn't stand on my, I mean, right. Like metaphorically, right. Couldn't really stand on my own literally. And needed help to do that. And I, I got really good at leaning into and accepting the resources that were around me to, to help me navigate that really awful time in my life. How freeing was that for you? Freeing? Uh, to be honest with you, I was a bit in survival mode. <laughs> I don't know that I was thinking of it through that lens. It, it was probably... It was almost like I felt like I had to do it. I was in a spot where I was like, I literally can't like bend, lift or twist. <laughs> I can't get for a period of time. Like I can't get up out of a chair by myself. I can't dress myself. You know, there's so many things we take for granted that I just couldn't do on my own. And it felt like a necessity. And sometimes we're forced. Sometimes we are forced to accept help when we realize that there is no alternative and I hope that other people don't have to get to the point where they're forced into having to receive it. But I'll tell people now, I'm like, if you need help, like I had somebody at <laughs> last thing I'll say about this and then I'll pause it. I, I was talking to a friend recently who's on a leadership team at our church and she was talking to our pastor and they were asking about my involvement in something. And he's like, I don't know if Rachel's going to say yes to that. She's really well boundaried. <laughs> like <Thank> I've, <laughs> Like, she's like, and that's not a bad thing. It's just most people say yes to everything. I'm like, I'm not a martyr. Like I've accepted, I'm not a martyr. I have learned the hard way through that experience and others that I need to like protect my space and time and mental health. And it's not selfish to do that. And I think a lot of us could benefit from shifting our mindset around, you know, it's not selfish to ask for these things. It's not a reflection of incompetence. It's not a reflection of of you not being qualified. It's a reflection of you being a self-aware human who is interdependent because we all are and we need each other. Absolutely. And I think that's such a good point uh, that at that time when you maybe kind of resisted letting others help, but that's, as that's become a part of who you are now is like, I think people, whether it's you doing a keynote or on a, on an interview like this, they're so appreciative of your authenticity and how real you are mm. uh, in describing where you're at in your journey. Yeah. So I think that's such a plus. Well, thanks. I think leaders, yeah. all, every leader could benefit from that. I think they're so afraid. Leaders are so afraid of, well, I have this title. I have this position. I'm, I think I'm viewed in this way. And it's, you humanize yourself 
people respect you more. People respect you more when you're, when you're level set with them and you say, Hey, this thing you struggle with me too. Yeah. That's been my experience as well. I eventually figured out that I was better to put away that myth of perfection. Mm -hmm. I'm a recovering perfectionist, I would say. (laughs) And, and it's freeing to not have to carry that facade around. Yeah. And you really capture that beautifully. Yeah. That's the freedom part. Back to the question about freedom. That's the freedom part of feeling like, oh, I don't have to do everything alone. And I don't have to do everything, you know, and even going back to from a leadership perspective, I don't have to do everything just because someone thinks I need to. (laughs) I can say no. (laughs) Yeah. Well, before we let you get away, I want to make sure that we give you an opportunity to let people know where they can uh, access your social media, your website, those kind of things if they want to contact you. Yeah. So the place where they can find all the things is my website, which is unmutedlife.com. Um, going to racheldruckenmiller.com will take them there too, but <laughs> unmuted life. And then on LinkedIn, right where we became friends, we started our friendship on LinkedIn. That's a my primary social media hangout is on there. Uh, also on YouTube and on Instagram, Instagram's unmuted life. And then on Spotify, if you're a music listener, you can Hang out with me on Spotify. I'll sing you some songs. <laughs> and I share that with our team ahead of time. So we know it is fantastic. Uh, so if you haven't gotten that yet, friends, go go pull it up and buy it. Yes. Don't let anyone tell you it's weird. You're really great. Thanks. So <laughs> we love you being you. Thank you. I do too. It feels bad. You know, it's like I'm learning. There's not really any other way I'm really interested in being at this point. Well, gosh, we're going to look forward to the next time that we can talk to you some more. But uh, we very much appreciate having you with us and talking about leadership on Leadership Level Up podcast. Thanks again, Rachel. Thanks for having me. That's right. Okay. The first one? Yeah. Do you want me to? Rachel, that was great. Sure. Do you want me to stop the audacity and then so it's part one and part two? That'd be great. Just to have-